to his word. Lord, we thank you that there is the promise of victory in Christ. And for some of us, Lord, for all of us who find ourselves in this world where we still struggle, where there's still a war being waged for our heart every day, where we find ourselves dealing with enemies of our soul, knowing that the world, the flesh, the devil are real, knowing that, Lord, we are weak and vulnerable, and oftentimes our hearts become um, divided. We pray, Lord, that you might show us how, as a church, as a church family, you can help us in fighting this battle. Help us, Lord, to see how your love and the way in which you work in the hearts of your people oftentimes is a wonderful way of seeing your grace, encouraging, strengthening, restoring, and helping each other in a way that brings glory to your great name as we see a small glimpse of how gracious and how restorative your grace is in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think most of us know, maybe some of you don't know, but uh, here is the one of the truths of the Christian life. The Christian life is not smooth sailing day after day. Every follower of Jesus Christ who has begun a new spiritual life, who has been made alive by Christ and had the Holy Spirit then quickening them, making them alive in Christ, and now there's the process of following the Spirit as the Spirit now leads us in a new way of living, a new way of operating. That in that process of new life, that from time to time there is the slipping back from the realm of living in the, in the following in the, in the guidance of the Holy Spirit to living in the flesh. Indeed, the Christian life involves a number of ongoing steps of growth rather than instantaneous maturity. And that's why theologians have often described the idea of growth and holiness in the Christian life as the term that is a process. It's called progressive sanctification. It continues on. It begins at the beginning of our uh, coming to faith in Christ and then continues on in an ongoing way throughout our life here on this earth. And so I think it needs to be said, and we need to admit, that we as members of the body of Christ at times will struggle with sin. That it's something that we should be able to admit to. At times we become, that, that struggle may become burdensome to us. The scriptures I, I want to assure you today offer a wonderful wealth of spiritual wisdom and insight into how we can address those situations. The Bible teaches that Sin can indeed entangle a follower of Jesus Christ in the race that Christ has assigned to us, that we can have our feet tangled up in sin. And anytime there is unresolved or unrepented sin in the life of a believer, we are oftentimes hindered in making forward progress toward growth and godliness. And perhaps you're here today and you are stuck in that struggle. Perhaps you're saying, well, nobody really knows this, or it's, I haven't talked about it widely, but you may be here today, and you're suffering in silence. I want you to know my heart is going out to you today. This sermon is designed to speak to you in bringing words of hope and encouragement to your heart. 
Perhaps you've lost your stride. At one time in your life, you were really following hard after Christ, and there's come a a gradual change in your heart over time in which you find yourself, your heart is now divided. You seem, oh yes, I love Christ, but I'm also struggling with a particular area of sin in my life. I can't seem to break it. You feel trapped into some sort of compromising situation. Spiritually speaking, you may feel like you're spiritually regressing instead of progressing further in grace. I hope you'll give ear to this portion of the scriptures today with me. Because if nothing else, I hope you'll know you're not alone. You are not alone in your struggle. Indeed, when believers get ensnared in sin, we fall into a trap of ongoing compromise, perhaps, in our lives and struggling with a form of temptation that seems to have really uh, tackled us. And we're unable to extract ourselves from that struggle The gospel compels us and wonderfully frees us to be involved in helping other members of the body of Christ. And that's really the focus of our sermon today. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, page 1388 in your pew Bible. As you do so, let me just remind you that we have have sought to... um, celebrate the fact that we as a church, we are a covenant church, we are a church who's entered into covenant with each other as members of this church. And in this covenant that we have pledged together, we've also pledged in that covenant to endeavor to watch over one another in brotherly love. We have pledged to watch over one another. I love the wording of that. That's such a beautiful thing. doesn't mean we're here to to get involved in your business and and to be nosy about everything in your life in a very invasive way, it means that compassionately and lovingly, we care about what's happening in your life, spiritually speaking. So our sermon today is designed to try to help all of us think more about how effectively can we do that? How can we be used by God to be a ministry of grace to each other? And of course, our, our response to a brother or sister who may find themselves struggling and not really making much progress in their spiritual growth in Christ, we want to be sure that we don't just ignore them. We don't want to just turn a blind eye and say, well, I know this is going on, but I'm not going to get involved because who am I to say anything to them? Or our response needs to certainly not be something where we additionally burden them by increasing the amount of their discouragement, perhaps, in their heart and and burdening them with further words of, pointing out to them what a mess that they're in, sort of heaping shame on them, sort of suggesting to them how in the world could you have gotten into this rut in your life as if we're somehow immune from that ourselves? No, let's not respond that way. The God-given remedy is to have a loving, compassionate, mutual, burden-bearing ministry, which is what we find in Galatians chapter 6, And perhaps you've got your Bible open. I'd like to encourage us just to read a couple of the verses in the previous chapter. Again, chapter divisions are not inspired. The Bible was not written with numbers in the margin and chapter divisions. That's not the way it originally was composed. They were added further for the benefit of finding our way around uh, by editors. And so please understand that when we back up and read, for example, chapter 5 of Galatians verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. 
Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What I'm going to try to explain today, I hope by God's grace, my intention is to at least, is to try to celebrate the fact that the gospel that lifts the burden of our sins so that we come to the point where we can love God as those who are forgiven, restored, and who have been given a new identity in Christ. The same gospel that's done that in our hearts is the same gospel that will free us from being self-absorbed to being only concerned about what has to do with my life and what has to do with advancing me and my agenda and my, my uh, reputation and my status before other people. But the gospel frees us to love our brothers and sisters and therefore we get involved in helping to lift them when they're struggling under the burden of sin. So I want to do so by answering three questions this morning, nothing too profound. First question, why are we to do this? Why are we to bear each other's burdens? It's pretty obvious, but... Hopefully we'll have a couple of insights there that are not real obvious. And then what does it mean when we bear each other's burdens? What is the text really saying there about that? We'll look at that a little further. Point number two, point number three, how are we to bear each other's burdens? Just very quickly, a couple of adverbs talking about how we're to do this in terms of our approach. So the first question, why are we to bear other believers' burdens in a mutual way? Let's back up, first of all, and just say, I am very much aware, and perhaps you are too, that we live in a society that celebrates and in many ways uh, uh, advances this whole idea that independent living is the best way to live. Living your own life, being left alone to do your own thing is highly esteemed in our culture today, particularly in the West. If In the East, it's it's family, it's village, it's community is the greatest ideal. But in our society, it's individualism that seems to rule the day. And relationships oftentimes are rather loosely formed. They're usually relationships of convenience and something that helps me, well, I'll stick with this. If it doesn't help me, I'm going to move on to something else. And oftentimes those relationships can be rather fragmented. But the gospel speaks to that aspect of human existence, that we are relational beings made in the image of God. And it's the gospel that says we are reconciled, reconciled to God, reconciled to other people who similarly have been reconciled to God. The gospel unites us. The gospel calls us to life of interdependence with each other. And therefore, we can say rather clearly that the Christian life is not a solo sport. Now, there are solo sports, uh, tennis, for example, golf, you know, you hit your own ball. Uh, there are, you know, uh, wrestling. Uh, there are these kind of individuals, individual sports, uh, whereas there's team sports, soccer. You can't really play soccer unless you have a team, you know, basketball, those kind of things where you, 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 you are dependent upon other people being able to fulfill their role and being able to accomplish the goal of the game. Well, the Christian life, we are members of each other in a family of God as Christians, 
And that's why he says in chapter 6, verse 1, did you notice the first word, at least in the New American Standard translation, first word is brethren, brothers and sisters, people who are members of the same family. Paul's addressing them because his concern for them as brothers and sisters is that he's very concerned that if you read the whole book, and we've been looking through that, I think, I don't know, a year or two ago, uh, he's concerned that people have been distorting and twisting the gospel. And uh, it's been a negative effect, impact upon them. And so Paul's reminding them in this letter that no one is declared right with God on the basis of doing things that are found in God's list of commandments. That by just keeping all those lists, keeping all the rules, doing all the right things will never make you right with God. It is only on the basis of trusting and having faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done to keep all of the commands of God perfectly on our behalf. And the fact he dies for us in all the things that we failed to do, he's taken those penalties upon himself. And so keeping the law will never result in us gaining acceptance before God. We are saved by faith alone. And therefore, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we live by faith alone. Faith in Christ, not by performance, not by trying to be better than the other person and say, well, I, I'm not performing as well and therefore I'm, I'm a sub-member of the family. No, no, we are brothers and sisters, freed by Christ, saved by Christ, purchased by Christ, and our focus is to be on Christ. And therefore, when we do so, he turns our focus away from ourselves and toward him and other people. The problem is that all of us, at times, as Christians, we struggle. We fail to be vigilant. We fail to be on our guard. We oftentimes will flirt with temptation. We will slip back to living in our own strength. And pride at those moments will tempt us to think that we can make it on our own. At times we will stumble and we carry out indeed the desires of our sinful flesh. All of us get caught in trespasses at times in the Christian life. And in our weakened condition, those, at those times we become burdened by our sin. It becomes heavy for us at times to bear. And the temptation that sometimes keeps knocking at our door is something that we have a hard time ignoring any longer because our hearts are weak. And so the first reason I would suggest to you, obviously, a very clear and evident reason is the reason we are to mutually bear burdens for each other regarding the sin of burden is because all of us are weak. We're susceptible to living in the flesh. So I hope you understand that you're among people who struggle this morning. And any of us who claim that we're not involved in such struggle is really needs to read carefully 1 John chapter 1 and be reminded of what really goes on in our hearts, even as Christians. Secondly, second reason that we want to be involved in this mutual ministry is because we desperately need the Holy Spirit to empower us to live new lives. It is God's Spirit that ministers in, in our lives in such a way he, he oftentimes is using the members of the body of Christ to minister to us, to impart to us the kinds of things we need to be encouraged and helped and guided and, and uh, prayed for. And that's why we read in Hebrews chapter 10, very familiar words, 
and I'm sure I'll get to that as one of our listings of one anothering. But in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer there says that we are not to abandon the idea of gathering together for corporate worship along with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we mutually need to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We need that kind of interaction. We need that kind of encouragement and, and giving them the, the, yeah, go ahead. Let's keep doing this. Turn, with, turn me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, page 1422. I want to read you just a couple of verses. Uh, I was out of town a couple weeks ago and visited uh, the church where our son Jonathan and his wife Kelly attend, a rather large church, a wonderful church um, in Ohio, and uh, heard a great sermon on this text, Hebrews chapter 3. I love being preached to. It's good for my soul. Uh, I found myself uh, very much pleased to hear the word handled in such a wonderful way in this church. In this text, he says in Hebrews 3, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, he went on to talk about the fact that when there were the children of Israel, there were many who were being warned now listen to what God's saying to you. And of course, many of them did not make it out of that desert. And he's using a similar illustration here to say we who are claiming to be followers of Christ, we need to be encouraging one another, verse 13, encourage one another day after day, not just every so often, not just at one phase of your Christian life, but day after day as long it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Oftentimes we don't see it. We don't see it clearly. And we oftentimes are duped by the fact that our hearts get drawn away and compromised. And that's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 says that we are to strengthen the hands, the, the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. There are people around us who need strengthening and help. So when one member of the body of Christ has moved back into operating in the sphere of the flesh, then the spiritual members, those who have the Holy Spirit within them, who are following the leading of the Holy Spirit, they are to therefore be involved in seeking to restore those who are struggling those who have stumbled, those who have become burdened down by their sin. And this mutual burden bearing, you'll notice in the text there in Galatians 6, it's not limited just to the elders. It doesn't say just to pastors, just to deacons, just to those who have served on positions of authority in the church. He says to those who are spiritual, implying that there's a sense in which all of us on some level can be involved in being able to minister to people who are struggling with sin. That is, that we can take the word of Christ, we can offer a word about Christ, a word about the gospel, we can give words of encouragement, words of challenge to those who are struggling, and we can pray with them. That is a ministry that we should not minimize the impact and the effect of those kinds of simple things we can do with someone. You ever realize that? You ever spend time just reading the word with somebody and just praying? Nothing has to be complicated. Nothing has to be elaborately done. Just doing those two things right there is an amazing ministry. The Word of God is powerful. Prayer is powerful. I would also just make you 
aware here in this text to be careful that if someone is struggling with a sin, and I'm not saying a physical problem now, I'm saying a sin, where does the apostle say we should seek help? He doesn't necessarily say we should turn to the secular or unbelieving counselor. I'm not saying we shouldn't seek professional help at times, but notice what he's saying here. The overall proper pattern here is to not seek the counsel of the ungodly who are unable to address the real heart issues of where the real problem is in our lives. It's in the heart. Address the heart issues there. So notice he says, turn to those who are spiritual. I could say much more about that, but the third reason I want to make here is there's a why we do this rather obvious is because it's the loving thing to do. Again, Jesus is saying to his disciples as the king, he's starting his kingdom. He says, okay, here's how my kingdom works. I want you in John 13, he says, I want my, my people to love one another. Even as I have loved you, Jesus says, you also are to love one another. If you're back in Galatians chapter 6, I want you to turn back one page there to chapter 5. And notice how love plays into this whole understanding of Paul's appeal here. Chapter 5, verse 14. 13, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom to opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The law pertaining to human responsibility and human uh, way we relate to other human beings is that we're to love our neighbor as we already, and we do, love ourselves. If you look at chapter 6, verse 2, you bear one another's burdens and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So this idea of loving each other and doing this idea of burden bearing draws attention to the fact that we as the as the people who celebrate the gospel we are celebrating the fact that we're not to draw attention to ourselves the end of chapter five he says look don't become boastful challenging one another envying one another that's not how the gospel's lived out in community we're not to sit here and try to draw attention to ourselves to think that our performance is superior to someone else their abilities their looks their possessions we're not here to compare and compete against each other on that level we're here to minister to each other. We're here to help each other, restore each other as needed. So rather than competing, we're here to support. Love does not ignore a brother or sister who's burdened and weighed down by their sin. But the Bible gives us the encouragement to say, here's what love looks like. It reaches down where they are and helps them up. It's not surprising that Paul is referring to those who are spiritual to restore, to restore people because what? When you talk about the, those who are led by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is the first one is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So if the Spirit is leading me and I'm following the leading of the Spirit, then you're going to see in me responses that are more loving than they are selfish and self-focused. So indeed, rather than condemning other people, Rather than giving up on people who are struggling with their sin, I'm going to show my love to them by assisting them. I'm going to help them back to getting to where they live in the Spirit again. Let me just wrap this up here. First point, why are we doing these things? He speaks to several different categories of people here in this text. And I realize without even saying anything, though, we understand there's a whole category of people in this text who are completely left out of the discussion. It's possible that there are people here this morning who are spiritually unresponsive toward God. You may be religious, 
You may be a person who has certain evidences of, I'm okay with, with going along with religious practices, but there's been really no change in my heart. If you really get down to it, you can look at the listing of things you find in Galatians chapter 5, 19, 20, 21. You'll find that many of those things are true in my life. I might be struggling with sexual immorality and impurity. There might be some form of strife and jealousy and all kinds of disputings and anger things and factions in my life and carousings and things like that. These are evidences that my heart has never been changed. These are evidences that I'm a person who primarily does not need to be having another Christian come alongside and somehow get me to where I used to be. They need, we, I need Christ to take the weight of my sin off from my back and to trust him to bear that sin as it was put upon Christ on the cross. So the response here is that you need to receive the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin. There's another category of people here in this text as we read this situation as to why we would do this. is the person who has the Spirit of God living within them, a person who has truly been brought to life in Christ, the person who is made alive through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here, we are encouraged to what? To remember that I have an important, vital role of living out my commitment to Christ in how I deal with people around me who may be struggling. That I would not become self-absorbed and competitive against my Christian fellow brothers and sisters, but that I might be compassionate toward them. And then maybe you might be that category of person who is the compromised Christian, who has been caught in some sort of sin. And so here you are perhaps sidelined, you are entangled in some situation. Let me encourage you, would you repent? Humble yourself, admit you're struggling, admit that this is the area where you find yourself in, and say, I need help. I need someone to come with me and listen to me, listen to what's been going on. I need to be honest and acknowledge those things and allow you an opportunity to show me the love of Christ, to help point me back to Christ and the wonders of the gospel. That's how love operates. A love that draws us to himself by Christ calling us to salvation. A love that says, here, you're to live for me since I love you and I've given you new life. And a love that says, I will restore you, I will forgive you, I will give you liberation from those things that may have caught you in your compromised condition. All right, point number two, I'd like to continue on further with what does it mean then to bear each other's burdens? When someone may revert back to living in the flesh, perhaps they're no longer prayerfully involved in relying on the Spirit's help, they're no longer in the Word, they're no longer thinking about the Word, they're no longer spending time meditating, the Word of Christ is not dwelling in them richly, therefore their usefulness has become limited. Those who are spiritual, we need to help our brother and sister to confess their sins, to be able to acknowledge that there is hope for them and to bring them back into a kind of a renewed fellowship with Christ and each other. And this idea of restoration is a term that's found in the first chapter of Mark's gospel in a very unusual context. It's, it's used of the disciples who've been out fishing, taking this big net, they've been dragging it through the Sea of Galilee. And as you know, if you got a weight on a net and you're pulling it so that you're getting all of the fish from the top to the bottom, you're bound to snag something on the bottom, a stick or some sort of uh, item that has been made its way to the bottom of that lake. You find yourselves getting all uh, snagged, 
and all knotted up. And other times when you're yanking on it to free it from something that got snagged on, you're going to rip a hole in it. And so this same term restore was used of the disciples who spent time after they were fishing restoring their nets. That is, securing the open holes in them, freeing up all the stuff that was clogging in there perhaps. They needed to be restored again and again as it was used. Same thing is true of the term used for a broken bone. The idea is to restore it, put it back in the position so that it is useful again. Same thing we're doing here, spiritually speaking. So perhaps you have a friend, a fellow believer, who you've noticed has not been worshiping on a regular basis in corporate worship. They've sort of slipped off the radar. They're no longer around very much. Maybe they've, another person that you might know, has reverted back to an old pattern in their life in which they had made a break from that pattern when they were first saved, and now you see them going back to that same pattern again, a compromised pattern. And so there's outward indicators you begin to see they're no longer under the control of the Holy Spirit. At that point, they need to be restored to usefulness again. And at that point, they need to be willing to allow us to come up to them, to have involved, be involved in their lives. And how we do that, of course, is something we'll talk about in our third point, they may find that this point of interacting with you may be difficult for them. They may struggle initially. They may have lost sight of God's promises. They're feeling overwhelmed perhaps by their circumstances, by their bad choices, by the mess that they've made and created in their life. May I suggest to you the loving thing to do at that point is to point them to the gospel again and again. Point them to Christ Remind them of the grace we have in Christ. Remind them of what Christ has done for them. Remind them it is Christ who is a friend of sinners, as we sang this morning. Encourage them to rely upon the Spirit's power to begin to work in their hearts, helping them to become untangled from this mess that they've gotten into. So that's what we mean by restore is to make them useful again. But what does it mean by this idea of burden? Bear one another's burdens. Well, let me just uh, point out to you that in chapter 6, there are two different words for weights in a sense. Verse 5 uses a word, each one shall bear his own load, means a backpack kind of weight. It's something that individually I can handle that, I can carry that, it's something that I can uh, easily make my way around with that. But what we're talking about in verse 2 is a word in the Greek that refers to a heavy overwhelming weight that a person cannot in any way bear alone. When someone's in a weakened spiritual state and the temptations that of a time that come to them in that weakened state, they may feel as though they are under the weight of being trapped. They don't know any way to get out. As I was thinking about this passage of scripture this week, I heard on the news a strange occurrence in which a woman in Nassau County, I didn't get exactly all the details of what town it was in, but Nassau County, during the nighttime, she's laying in her bed and a tree falls against the house and in so doing comes down through the roof and then nails her, actually lands in such a way in which it pins her into her bed. She's 20 some years old. She's absolutely terrified. She cannot lift this thing and her reaction on the news after the fact she was taken to the hospital she's able to 
recover, thankfully, uh, was her comments about those who came to her rescue. She said, I want to thank, with great tears in her eyes, I want to thank all of the rescue workers, the ambulance uh, personnel, the EMTs, the firemen, the neighbors. She just thanked all these people for getting this huge limb that had pinned her to her own bed. She could not get out of it on her own. That's sort of what we do in spiritually speaking. We don't just offer a one-time admonition. We come alongside of somebody for a period of time. It's going to take some time for them to maybe get their, their way out of this situation, the weight of their sin. And so burden-bearing involves taking and helping this fellow believer, not permanently taking that burden on you, on ourselves, but notice that what we have in mind here is to assist the other person for a while until they can resume their own ministry, until they can resume carrying their, their own life into a place where they're growing and they're thriving in Christ. Because everyone is to carry their own load, verse 5. We understand that's the way it's supposed to be, but this is a situation where they're overwhelmed by something bigger than them. So the goal is not to create a sense of dependency upon each other in the sense that now your problem is my problem and therefore you can use me as a reason as to why you're struggling because I haven't done enough. No, that's not we understand what he's text is saying at all. But to encourage the weaker brother to rely on the Spirit's power to find strength to fight that battle in faith and in the Word. Now, I don't have time to do this uh, too much in detail here but I wanted to give an example and that was the example of Christ with Peter. If you recall Peter one of the disciples, one of the most outspoken, most impressive ones of the 12. His name is always listed first, which means he's one who's always out front, someone that others were following. Well, what does he do when it comes time when Jesus got arrested? He follows, saying, I'm going to be with my Savior. I'm going to see what happens to him. I'll be there for him. And then in the context of that, he begins to become fearful. And so when several people say, aren't you one of the guys that follows this guy? Aren't you from Galilee? And he not once, but not twice, three times he denies it. Says, no, I have nothing to do with that man. So much so the last time he's cussing at them, he's cursing at them. Here he is, failing to be loyal to his Savior at the moment when his Savior was being mistreated. And Jesus looks at him at that moment, and I'm sure Peter felt a tremendous weight of his sin. He was burdened by his sin. He had failed dramatically and unequivocally and repeatedly. Fast forward through Christ's death, his resurrection, and what does Jesus do? He makes a point that when they're fishing and Peter's out there with the others fishing, doing what they used to do, not ministering, not proclaiming the good news of Christ's resurrection, he calls him aside and he says, Peter, do you love me? He restores him. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend my lambs. I want you to be involved in ministry. I've forgiven you. That's why I died for you. That's the idea of bearing the burden, getting him back into the gospel and assurances of gospel grace. And that is what we indeed have the privilege of doing. Because let's be honest, the church is not a museum for sinless saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. We're here to, to, to we need the gospel, all of us do, continually. Not just when we come to faith, but as we continue to serve and mature in faith. And I see it going on, and it's a beautiful thing when I've seen it. And it is a wonderful ministry in our church to see people who are doing this burden-bearing. It is a beautiful testimony to the love of Christ in our midst.
Let me just have one more point here and uh, just very quickly, a couple of comments on how to do it. Paul felt the need to be sure to give some cautions because sometimes you might say, oh man, let me add him. I want to give him some, I got 16 verses for this guy. I am just going to nail him. I'm just going to get this young lady over in a corner and she is going to hear an earful from me. Well, let's back up. Point number three, how are we do with this? Burden bearing. First of all, Paul says in the verb he uses in verses one and two, the verbs are present tense. So from that, I understand he means continually. Burden bearing is not just something you do once and say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've finished that. No, burden bearing is something we continually are doing because why? People constantly need help. We're still struggling against sin, the world, the flesh, the devil. And so there's constantly a need for it. Secondly, it's to be done gently, continually and gently. Those who are spiritual, those who are filled with the Spirit, following the lead of the Spirit, they will produce the fruit of the Spirit by the Spirit of God's grace. And then what, what's one of those fruit? Not only love, it's gentleness. Gentleness. And so when we approach a weaker brother, we don't do so with a harsh and critical, censorious spirit. We don't kick a person when they're down. We've got to be very careful in the words that we use with them, words in which we try to understand their struggle. We try to listen carefully. We try to ask good clarifying questions. We don't say things like, you know, now that I hear what you say and all this stuff, I'm not surprised you're in all this mess because I've told you, I've told you 16 times that you shouldn't have done that. Or I told you you should be doing this instead. You didn't listen to me. That's not helpful. It's not a time for being impatient and having finger wagging sessions with someone. But it's a time for the Spirit to gently work through you, through His Word, through prayer, and through me as well. Lastly, gently, but also humbly. As we approach someone, Paul warns us. He says, listen, there's a danger that when you're approaching someone who's in that weakened state and they're struggling, they're under that heavy burden of their sin, don't you ever think that you're not susceptible to similar kinds of sins. Don't ever think that you are invulnerable from succumbing to moments of weakness in your own life in Christ. And so he warns us against pride and arrogantly approaching someone as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he said, listen, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you're standing, you think you're invulnerable to all these things, be careful. Pride goes before destruction, Proverbs 16 says. It's particularly true in the realm of sexual temptation. You need to be very careful in this area when we're talking with someone. Realize that you too could find yourself struggling with if you found yourself in a situation of compromise. And so, there will need to be the help of another person who comes alongside to help that other person. But let me just, again, make it very clear. If you're coming to offer to help bear a burden, and you're going to talk about rather uh, serious matters of that kind of personal struggle, particularly in the area of sexual sin, man with man, woman with woman. It doesn't make any sense to get involved in any kind of offering to bear a burden of someone uh, in, inappropriately like that. And then just let me say this, when you pray for your weaker brother, that is a wonderful ministry. Don't ever discount that. Writing them a note that includes scripture, what a powerful ministry that is. Send them a text, send them an email, so using social media to use it to minister to the word of that person, reminding them that you're praying for them, pointing them to gospel promises, 
And lastly, holding them accountable. Don't let them just wander off on their own. Keep pursuing them. Keep seeking them out. Keep reminding them, listen, I'm praying for you. And I want you to know I care about you. And I love you deeply. And so does Christ. May the Lord help us to be his loving agents by his grace. Even though we don't do this perfectly, thank God I do see it happening. May it continue to be a ministry used for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Lord, today as we've talked about feeling our own vulnerability and knowing that we are weak, spiritually speaking, Lord, we commit to you. Our time now as we come to your table, Lord, some people as we come, they need to come to Christ for the first time. They need to come confessing their sins. They need to come admitting that they themselves have been going their own way like a sheep, doing their own thing, having broken your laws, broken your commands. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that as we remind ourselves of your work on the cross, that there's hope for them. They can be forgiven. They can be restored. They can be adopted as children of God. If they'll come, repent of their sins, and trust Christ in him alone. And Lord, today as we gather to your table, for those of us who are believers, we pray that you would help us to see, Lord, the gospel working in our hearts, showing us your love again. Lord, help us to see the love that you have reached down to us and lifted that heavy burden from us, Lord, of our own sin. We pray that you would help those who are feeling burdened by their sin today, Lord, as they gather to your table, help them to see that you are the God of grace who can again reach down and help them through the members of the body of this, of this church. Encourage them, Lord, to find their way free out of that. Begin your work of grace, I pray, Lord, in a powerful way today. In the first time for some people's lives and also for, many, for, the, for, the, for the millionth time for some of us, Lord, that we might be reminded of your grace in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.